Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. Over the coming weeks, the show will be putting out some special episodes on the UK general election, covering issues such as the manifestos of the parties, the digital war, Tory party strategy, and what a Labour or Conservative victory might mean for British foreign policy, migration, the climate crisis, and of course, Brexit. If you find these episodes interesting and useful, please do consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can become a supporter for $3 a month, which is just over £2, and by becoming a patron you'll get access to extended versions of PTO episodes, including today's show. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. My guest today is Eleanor Penny. Eleanor is a writer, journalist, editor, poet, teacher and broadcaster. Her work has appeared in numerous outlets including The New Statesman, The Independent, The Verso Books Blog, In These Times and The London Review of Books. The first thing I wanted to ask was, I mean it's, it's not going to be a great surprise I think to listeners to, to know that I'm going to be voting Labour and, uh, and I'm sure you will be as well. And, you know, I'm very much sort of plugged into uh, the, the, the social media world of, of Labour Party activists and, and, and people uh, writing from, from the left. And one of the very striking things about the last couple of days has been the reaction of people to, to the announcement that we're, that we're finally going to have a general election. And it's, it's mostly been one of um, qualified euphoria. It seems like most people are pretty excited, uh, more optimistic than I think people outside of the, of the Labour movement would would expect. We, I mean, with the obvious exception of the, the parliamentary Labour Party. And it's very different to the situation in 2017, where I think many of us went into that, that election uh, with, with quite a sense of, of, of dread. So what was your um, immediate reaction to, to the news? Well, I mean, my Twitter feed was instantly flooded with photos of Corbyn dressed up as Santa, and uh, which was like very gratifying and, and cut through my kind of intuitive mode of like political engagement, which I have at the moment, which is just kind of preemptive climate grief and mm. and, and despair. Um, I'm, I'm failing to do the Gramscian sort of optimism of the will, pessimism of the internet thing. It's just like 90% <laughs> pessimism. But um, I, I've really been kind of I mean, inspired, which is, is a very corny way of putting it, but also kind of certainly a very accurate way of putting it by, by the enthusiasm and the real uh, mobilisation in terms of uh, money that's going to Momentum and the Labour Party. Momentum got um, £100,000 in just over 12 hours. Mm. And the number of people who've signed up to all kinds of organising Skype calls and that kind of thing, like people have... Uh, people are really putting their boots on the ground, putting their wallets on the line for this. I think that's the thing that gives me a lot of hope. Um, far more, than, far more than Corbyn means, although I'm a big aficionado of them. Um, but the thing that is was striking uh, at the time, especially because I was in Westminster um, when the news broke uh, mm. that Corbyn had kind of you know, got up on the other side of the bed and thought, actually, no, you know what? We will have a general election, which, you know, was very gratifying. Um, and whilst I'm kind of getting WhatsApps from people going, fuck yeah, bring it on, there was this kind of quiet dread among some uh, some staffers because I think that the, the weight of um, the 
PLP's pessimism mm. and the weight of the PLP's reluctance to to prepare the party in a very sort of self-reinforcing way, because the argument has been uh, for ages from people like Owen Smith, people uh, like Tom Watson, people who would essentially rather lose an election than deliver Corbyn into number ten. Um, the you know their reluctance to prepare the party in the way that sort of momentum has been laying the groundwork for a general election for you know. Uh, weeks and months now uh, has been the kind of excuse on which they sell uh, a continued reluctance that to call Boris Johnson's bluff because I mean that's what it is right I I am continually astonished by the goldfish like memory of the kind of the, like the media class and the sort of political media class in this country when it comes to Boris Johnson's administration in particular because. I mean, have we not all realised that he's a total idiot by now? Like every every strategic call that he's made has been wrong. Every single mm. one, um, and you know that's not surprising because he's he's a he's a great uh, he's great at messaging, but he is it's totally inept in terms of backing that up with political strategy and like these big moves, like prorogation and uh, posing this election as one of, you know, Boris Johnson versus Parliament, that kind of thing. Like, you know, they, they sound like the thing that, that should have real electoral clout um, in terms of riding a populist wave, trying to resuscitate the kind of anti-elitist sentiment that delivered Brexit and like use and channeling that into Boris Johnson's administration. But uh, in terms of actually how cashing that out in Parliament, in the election, in terms of policies, voter strategy, this kind of thing, they're pretty useless. And I think we can we can see the results of that via, first of all, their total inability to deliver an argument in favour of uh, the Brexit deal uh, beyond it's some kind of deal and it exists somehow miraculously, mm. um, which is a pretty weak argument for any kind of a political change, let alone something that promises to... Uh, you know, transform the country for many decades to come and set the scene for climate chaos. Um, and secondly, the, how hard the, um, the Tory media, if you like, are going in on the old faithful of uh, conservative politics and sort of, you know, lib auto liberal politics more generally uh, since 1989 is the total impossibility of change, right? That's why we're hearing so much about the polls. Uh, Richard Seymour's, uh, you know, very perspicacious, excellent line that we need to remember at these times is the polling industry doesn't measure public opinion, it produces it. And that's what we're seeing here. The, the line about, you know, oh, uh, Labour's not going to win, look at the polls, even though the polls are actually better uh, by a substantial amount than in 2017, where we famously saw uh, a, a massive shock, a massive upheaval, a massive uh, proof that the pundit class have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Um, that's what, that's the, it's a political strategy more than it is actually reporting on the facts on the ground. Uh, because if they, if they bothered to talk to anyone, you know, that, that would, really be uh that would that would really be belied very quickly on the question of the polls i mean I, I i suspect some people who would defend the argument that um that labor is 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 doing very badly in the, in the polling um mm. and and with reference to the the 2017 election um they might say well b before the election it's not that the polls were wrong it's rather that labor was able to transform its situation during the 
electoral campaign. And we might be in a similar situation now where the polls might not be wildly off, but that doesn't mean that Labour can't win necessarily. But to the extent that the polls are accurate, and maybe you don't think they are at all, why do you think Labour are so far behind? Because I, I do think all this talk about the polls, I think it particularly plays on the minds of people who can recall the 1990s and they recall that long period of time of, of, of the John Major government where they were in power but but well behind in the polls and a, a Labour victory under Tony Blair just seemed seemed inevitable and, and indeed it resulted in a in an eventual landslide and that argument that that, that you so often hear um, you know from commentators in, in The Guardian particularly you know uh, Jonathan Friedland just had an article um, this last week uh, on this theme, <laughs> as he has wanted to do <laughs> as he has very much wanted to do, yeah that um that you know, given the nature of the Conservative government, given how uh, appalling their rule is and how long they've been in power, why isn't Labour at least ahead in the polls? Oh, I think that's a very good question to be asking. Very necessary, right? I, you know, why aren't uh, the Tory government, who have presided over ten years of economic disaster, socio-political collapse, being absolutely hammered in the polls? Um, and I think that has. Um, a lot to do with, I mean, you know, I, I would vote Labour, um, absolutely, no question. Um, but, you know, we need to take a proper reckoning of uh, the fact that uh, Labour has, over the past uh, two years especially, really failed to pick up the um, momentum, with a small m, um, the, um, and to transform the mass membership into a mass social movement. Uh, that could that could do the work of cutting through a hostile media, and I think you know I think we should expect any um, billionaire-owned media landscape to be hostile to uh, a radical socialist transformative project, and that's why I'm kind of I get a bit a, a bit bored about uh, the the continual lines about you know the media is biased against Corbyn. It's like, of course, the media is biased against Corbyn. It's you know it's owned by Richard Murdoch, um, uh, and also I think a major failure has been the temerity and uh, indefensible kind of triangulation on the question of immigration like we we absolutely wouldn't be so scared of, of the kind of the brexit culture war that boris johnson is trying to drum up if we'd already spent the past you know three years making the case for um uh, for a socialist border policy if you if, if one exists uh, or for open borders for a positive migration system for a welcoming migration system because you know otherwise they've just ended up reheating and uh, reheating the same old reactionary lines that ultimately only benefit uh, only benefit the the proper dyed in the wool racists of the Conservative Party of the Brexit Party. I'm not saying that there, there aren't racists in the in the ranks of uh, of the Labour Party because you know there there absolutely are. We uh, we we live in a society after all. Um, but uh, going back to the question of, of polls, I think where we need to uh, where we need to be clear here is that I'm not saying the polls are wrong and we should ignore old polls. Right? Mm. So it's a kind of it's a bit sort of um, insider thinking conspiracy to to just kind of dismiss any poll that that says Labour isn't going to win, right? Because you know that is how we lose, right? We lose by detaching ourselves totally from reality um, and not meeting people where they are. I mean, one of the reasons there was such a massive ground operation in 2017 is everyone was bloody terrified, and you know, rightly so. Um, but what I'm saying is that 
their use is a, a, as a political strategy depends on the kind of scientific error, if you like, of um, of extrapolating from data rather than t- than interpolating from data. You know, uh, the polls might totally be accurate in terms of you know how people would vote tomorrow. What they're not is like a predictive guarantee, and that is how they're being treated, right? Because um, uh, what was hugely beneficial in 2017 is that. Um, election coverage laws kicked in so um broadcasters had to kind of give all of the parties as fair a shot at um at coverage as they possibly could um which is where the uh, labor party managed to break through the morass of uh you know various different scandals that were being that were being thrown at corbyn like you know the hamas and ira scandals remember them mm. um and and broker talk about actual policy. You know that's what we're going to that's what we're going to see, and that's where um, Labour's on a really strong footing compared to the Conservative Party because it's it's really um, it's really shocking that people who consider themselves the children of Thatcher, who who claim the mantle of Thatcherism, have a Total lack of understanding of, of, you know, A, what made Thatcher successful, ultimately that she was parasiting off um, a healthy uh, welfare state that she could flog off for cheap and, um, and you know, she still ran nine deficits in 11 years, but there we go. Um, and secondly, that, um, that Thatcher had ideas um, and ideas that were very controversial at the time. And uh, what we're seeing now is people who consider themselves the sort of the inheritors of, of that monetarist neoliberal, um, what is now dogma, um, in the place of the, uh, you know, the Edward Heaths, as were in the 1970s, the kind of guardians of an old order who were just kind of shocked and baffled at what they've been doing, the, the fact that what they've been doing for the last, you know, 10, 20 years is, you know, is still not working, still not pulling uh, the country out of um, out of economic doldrums. And they also have no way, um, really, of, of expanding of, of expanding that offer that would... I mean, the, the Conservative Party manifesto hasn't come out yet, so maybe they will, maybe they will shock me with, with a real kind of economic populist turn right but um you know i would just be very surprised you know boris johnson's already promised tax cuts he's already done the kind of like very light sop to the social institutions that they've spent the past decade starving out and you know more bobbies on the beat like, you know, very very standard kind of tactics um so i mean like that's that's why i'm 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 hopeful i guess because we'll have a pivot to policy discussions but you know i do feel pretty pretty confident about that because obviously this is being talked up as you know this is going to be the brexit election it's going to be the, the election that we didn't get in in 2017 um so i mean you, you think labor will be able to, to to really shift attention to to these other other questions i mean hmm. i um i'm very hesitant to say that i think labor will win <laughs> um uh, because uh, if if I was if I was ever a betting person, the last three years have, have knocked that out of me thoroughly. Um, but I I do think that um, uh, what I'm saying is that Labour have a, have a much much better chance than than is than is kind of popularly fated. If you you know if you take a look at the the front pages, if you like. Um, but I think something that something that maybe isn't talked about enough 
is the fact that one of the things that we could do in 2017 that we can't do now is kind of fudge the Brexit conversation. Um, Obviously, that's no longer possible. Um, I do actually think that um, the Labour Party have a pretty strong uh, message on Brexit in terms of, you know, a plausible... uh, a, a plausible deal versus remain, putting it back to the people. And if they can, you know, hammer the Lib Dems uh, on that and, you know, work out some kind of you know, tactical vote sharing thing, like I think, you know, that's that could cut through because, um, you know, it, it's it's bizarre that people don't, you know, that it doesn't get more airtime that, you know, Labour are offering a second referendum and have been uh, have been doing for months now mm. um, i mean does but, that not but, reflect a, a significant degree of ambivalence within the party itself and at the leadership level as well in terms of you know how much they wanted to to offer a second referendum yeah i mean i <laughs> i'm very dubious about a second referendum um myself so i kind of sympathize on on that basis um i <laughs> last time i saw polling back to that old question on um uh on a potential like leave remain vote it was 50 52 48 so uh, i mean great but i mean what the, what this does give us a chance to do is talk about you know the detail of what a uh, of what a brexit uh, would look like and have some kind of conversation that i hope will happen um about okay if we have uh, what, you know, what that credible remain uh sorry credible leave deal uh, would look like because you know credible's a bit of a, a fudge right and I, i'm not sure that that's uh, that's necessarily going to going to reassure everyone i mean it's, it's absolutely not going to reassure the um the brexit party but i think um that's where people are trying to uh, people people are trying to cut through with other issues on housing on workers rights zero hour contracts the nhs that kind of thing because i mean yes technically uh the europe question got us here it's the european question that you know, has hopefully doomed Boris Johnson's um, prime ministership. But, you know, realistically, 71% of people think that the climate crisis is more important than Brexit. Uh, Brexit is, uh, is to a large extent, a, a kind of a parlour game obsession of, uh, of Westminster media. And it kind of forgets that, you know, whilst all the Brexit mass is happening, you know, life is still continuing um, outside of, uh, of SW1. And, uh, you know, people are still starving on universal credit. People are still absolutely terrified for the future of their children as we kind of career headlong in, you know, past the date at which we have any kind of chance of preserving a livable planet. And yes, Brexit... Um, really captures a kind of public imagination um, it's, and it really plays to a sense of heroism it plays to a sense of national renewal that have you know routinely been you know very powerful in in Britain in particular and especially when, with this kind of reheated um, imperial nostalgia thing that the Conservative Party are kind of playing towards but there are many other you know, equally, if not more emotional um, issues and equally, if not more important issues uh, that this election is, is going to be about. And I think the next six weeks are a chance to, to shift that, that framework. And you, you can actually see, you know, Laura Pidcock, John McDonnell, the, you know, the, the usual culprits uh, trying hard to, to do that um, as we speak in, you know, in the first day, um, in the first day after of the election has been called. 
Going back to the point about the seemingly quite robust situation of the grassroots of the Labour Party and, and momentum, um, as you say, the, the signs regarding fundraising look very good. It looks like there's a great deal of enthusiasm. Perception seem to be, and again, this is very much you know the narrative in, in, in much of the media, was that uh, Labour has been sort of deflated by the last couple of years of, of as you say, you know, sort of being locked into into uh, Westminster and and. and politicking over over brexit and i think there was very much that sense that 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 people were demoralized and that labor wouldn't be able to do what they did in 2017 i mean is your sense that actually on the ground labor may actually be stronger this time around i mean we've done it before right i mean i'm speaking we as in the broad term of you know people who are invested in a in a non-barbaric future um and you know, yes absolutely i think there's been um there's been kind of in fighting, there's been stagnation. Uh, there's been a real uh, lack of direction in terms of channeling uh, an enthusiasm and, uh, and anger, quite frankly, uh, amongst people against uh, to you know try and take down the Tories. Finally, um, but that was kind of the case in in 2017 as well. Like you know, we'd already had. Two years, one and a half years of, of Corbyn's leadership, and there, you know he had been absolutely hammered over his failure to stop Brexit, which was um, you know already his point at that at that point, already his fault at that point. Um, and I think we'd be a mistake to underestimate um, how much people just want to do something. Right? People are desperate for a better world. People, I mean, we live in a deeply, deeply political era. Like, yes, people are, are frustrated with Westminster and people are bored of the kind of, you know, parlour games and the court intrigue over Brexit. Um, but people are also very hungry for change, uh, whether that's, you know, the kind of change that, you know, you and I wouldn't want to see in terms of, a, you know, the renewal of a strong state uh, in an authoritarian sense, or, you know, a transformative socialist project. There's real urgency behind these things on the ground. And, and that's the kind of thing that can be unlocked by a, general, by a general election, particularly, weirdly, one that is in such a short time frame. Um, and so I, I think, like, yes, it's, it's a kind of um, a replay of the structure of the polling dilemma, really, in that, like, yes, we're in... Um, a sort of a non-ideal situation. You know, we have the structures that we didn't have uh, in 2017. Uh, momentum is, you know, much larger organisationally. Uh, people uh, have spent the last two years being trained up in uh, in doorstepping, canvassing, phone banking, that kind of thing. So there are a lot, there are a lot of skills on the ground. Um, but also, this is this is a chance that a lot of people are ready to leap on because it's they it's the chance that they've been waiting for for the last two years to make good on what we you know nearly delivered. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune Magazine. If you would like to hear the extended version of this interview, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the page at patreon.com/polltheoryother. Thanks for listening.